Well, open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 6 and read through verse 11. And the title of this morning's message is Abandoned for the Glory of God. When you think of the word abandoned, you probably don't think of it as a positive thing, do you? I know as last week or early last week when we were driving back down from Yosemite, and I love seeing the abandoned farms and, you know, abandoned, just anything abandoned on the side of the road that has to do with farming. And you see the, the tractors. It just For me, it looks really cool. And I always, like, think to myself, wow, one time that was brand new, and that was maybe a, a busy farm or a busy house or a brand new business. But for some reason now, it's abandoned. And I don't really know the story behind those things, but to me it's just something that I think about as we uh, drive along or when I see those things. And some of them look, you know, pretty cool abandoned. But for the most part, again, we don't think of abandonment in a positive light. You know, when you think of abandonment, you may think of children being left alone, you know, by their parents, dropped off somewhere and left. Or a spouse walking out on another spouse, abandoning them and abandoning their family. As I mentioned, an old house vacated and left to the elements or a car broke it down on the side of the road that's been abandoned. All those things seem to be neg- or negative things. But what about when God abandons something? Can that be a good thing? And can abandoning things in general be a good thing? I mean, some of us have abandoned harmful habits in our life that have dragged us down. Sometimes we have to abandon harmful people in our life, right, who are toxic to us for one reason or the other. And in Scripture, the church is even called at times to abandon members from the congregation to put them out. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about that. And you put them out so that they can experience the full weight of their sin in hopes that they would come to their senses and repent. And they need to experience the gravity of what they're doing and not just gloss over it. And in that sense, this morning, we're going to look in the book of Isaiah and see this exactly happening. God abandoning his very own people. But like the title of the message says, it is for the glory of God. So let's look at this text this morning and, and find out exactly why does God abandon his people? I mean, we just sung about how awesome God's love is and how it never fails and it's always there. How is that reconciled with his abandoning his own people? Well, if you remember last week, as Jared taught us about this coming universal reign of God in the world and specifically in context to the nation of Israel, specifically the southern tribe of Judah. And we're going to pick up in the middle of that message that Isaiah has for the nation of Judah about this coming rain, but there's something in the way, there's something hindering that. And in verse 5, if you remember from last week, God is calling Judah to come back, come to the house of the Lord. And this is where we pick up in verse 6. And Isaiah says this, for you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob. So again, right from the very beginning, we see that God has abandoned his people. Again, he's calling them back. 
Let's read on and then we'll come back and discuss this more. For you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with influences from the east. And they are soothsayers like the Philistines. And they strike bargains with the children of foreigners. Their land has also been filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land has been filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land has been filled with idols. They worship the work of their hands, that which their fingers have made. So the common man has been humbled, and the man of importance has been abased. But do not forgive them. Enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The proud look of man will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And we'll stop right there. So again, let's go back to the very beginning in verse 6 and answer the question, why has God abandoned his people? What could somebody do in their life or a nation in this instance particularly, what could they do that God would abandon them? Well, look at verse 6 again, and there's the answer. It says, because they are filled with influences from the east. Basically, what what has happened is that they have taken on the characteristics of the world around them. The pagan nations around them have so influenced the nation of Israel that they have walked away from being the covenant people of God. And that abandonment that God has allowed is more like he's let them go. It's not that God has wandered away from them. He's allowed them, because of their sin, to wander away from him. And he's abandoned them by not keeping them with him. He's allowed them to go. Again, because they've taken on the characteristics of the world around them. They no longer look like the covenant people of God. And if you remember, as we started at the very beginning and talking about the prophecy Isaiah, this is kind of an overview of the history of the nation of Israel. There's no specific time frame here other than the three kings that were talked about in chapter 1. It's kind of like, hey, this is the history of Israel. This is who they have been over and over again, so much so that there is no distinction between them and the rest of the world. So don't look at it when we read something like this, like, oh, it's a one-time sin that this person did, and so God's abandoned them. No, this is progressive, generation after generation after generation that has just overtaken Judah, and they no longer look like the covenant people of God. As a matter of fact, in verse 6, he kind of gives you some of the ideas of what they've been doing They are soothsayers like the Philistines. So they've taken on the religions, the beliefs and practices of the nations around them. That's the bad thing about Judah right here. And they have strike, in verse 6, and they strike bargains with the children of foreigners. So they've entered covenants with the foreign nations. If we were to go back into the books of Moses, you would see that God constantly and over and over and even through the historical books of the, of the Old Testament, where God would say, do not enter in covenant with the nations around you. Why? Because they're covenant people of God. Remember, we started this Old Testament series a few months ago, and we looked at the Ten Commandments, where God had called the nation of Israel out of Egypt and put them into a covenant with himself. 
So they've already committed themselves to God, and yet now, as we've learned over the past few weeks, they've committed spiritual adultery with the nations around them, and they've left God, so God has abandoned them. So why did he do that? Let's move on to verse 7. It speaks a little bit more about the things that they're doing. It says, the land is filled with silver and gold. There is no end of their treasures. Their land has been filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Isaiah, using prophetic language, talking about the abundance and the prosperity of the nation of Judah. They've had all these things, so much so, if you're familiar again with the Old Testament story, whenever there's an abundance, what happens to the nation of Israel? They forget God. When they become rich and wealthy in, in resources or in finances, they tend to forget that they need God. And it's this overabundance of things that leads them away. And because they've been so influenced by the nations around them, look at verse 8. It says, their land has also been filled with idols. So worship the work of, they worship the work of their hands, that which their fingers have made. Again, what happens is they're so involved with the nations around them that they begin to worship these other idols and thank them for all that they have or pray to them for help. That's what it means, again, when they enter these foreign contracts with other nations. They're asking them for help instead of the Lord God. They're asking the gods of the other nations for help instead of the Lord their God. So it kind of gives you, again, an overall picture of what's going on in the nation of Israel. They have become like the nations around them. They have entered into covenant with the other nations, so they do not act different. They partake of their worship of all these other nations. The prosperity that they have makes them forget about God. You see, prosperity in this sense they should be thanking God for all that they have, but instead they don't do that. And that obviously it doesn't say that here, but if you know the history of the nation of Israel, they forget to do that. Actually, when they have an abundance of things, they forget about God. How familiar does that sound with our own people, even in our own churches, that when things are going good, we forget about God. We no longer need God, right? Most people, unfortunately don't begin to pray until something is going bad. We so easily forget it. it is God who has given us all this prosperity and good health, food on the table, that we stop praying to God. And I hope that doesn't happen to you and your own families, that when you're praying over something and thanking God for what he gives you, that you don't take that for granted, that you remember, you know what, this dinner that we have tonight is a blessing from God because how many people don't experience dinner on a daily basis? Or how many people don't have a family together to sit around and enjoy a meal? We need to look at the abundance and the prosperity and the blessings in our families, in our country, and thank God for those things. And here again, Isaiah is pointing out that these things have actually caused people to walk away from God. So God is abandoning his people because of this reason. <clears throat> Let's move on to verse 9. So Isaiah foretells what the results are going to be because of God's abandonment. He kind of gives a little overview here. Look at verse 9. He says, so, because God's abandoned them, 
The common man has been humbled, and the man of importance has been abased. But do not forgive them. Let's talk about a few things here. When God abandons men, men ultimately will be humbled. And you see at the end of verse 9, something interesting there. They will not be forgiven. When God abandons men, they are no longer going to be forgiven. And it's interesting to note that the prophet here says, do not forgive them. Why would Isaiah ask God not to forgive his own people? Don't we always want God to forgive people? What would be the reason that Isaiah would ask God not to forgive somebody? There's no answer given, but I, you know, after reading and studying, thought of a few different things. And, and the one big thing that came to mind was, <coughs> was this. That, you know, if God so quickly forgives them that they won't learn their lesson. They'll say, oh, good, God will just forgive me and I can continue living this way. Think of how many times that happens when people know that God's going to forgive them. Like, you know, it's better to. Uh, ask for forgiveness and permission. Have you heard that before? You're like, no, I've never heard of that before. Well, if you haven't, it's like, hey, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission to do something. Right? Oh, I'm sorry I did that. Instead of going, hey, can I do this? No, just, I'll just ask for forgiveness because I know so-and-so or specifically God will forgive me. And so Isaiah is saying, Lord, don't forgive them. In, in fact, let them feel the unforgiveness in their life for a little while, let them suffer for a little while so that they can understand or experience the result of their sin. Sometimes we have to discipline our children or people have to be disciplined to understand what they did was wrong. And I think that's what Isaiah is saying here. Don't forgive them so quickly, Lord. You know, let them experience and suffer a little bit so that they come to the realization of what they're doing is actually wrong. So many times we want to protect people from getting injured or protect them from suffering the ramifications of their sin. And that's not what we should be doing. We should allow that to take place. And so I think this is what Isaiah is saying when he says to do not forgive them. Let's move on to verse 10. So, again, Isaiah foretells, what are the results of God's abandonment? Well, again, men will be humbled. Men will not be forgiven. And look at verse 10. It says, enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. So, again, Isaiah is talking about what's going to happen when God abandons men. There's going to be people that instead of running to God, they actually hide from God. Look at that again in verse 10. Enter the rock and hide in the dust. Why? From what? From the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. Men are hiding from God instead of repenting. Right? Instead of realizing, you know, I need to pay for my sins or suffer the consequences, they try to hide from those consequences. And this is what Isaiah is saying when, when God abandons people. He's saying, enter the rock and hide from the Lord. I was thinking of in the book of Revelations, how many, in the book of Revelation, how many times, at least a few different times, when one of the plague comes on, people, they ask for the mountains to fall on them. 
They want to hide from the judgment of God and some even blasphemy God, but they do not repent of their sins, even in the midst of all out judgment. Now, how many times in our own lives do we know people who are suffering, who are going through hardship because of what they have done and they don't repent? They don't ask for forgiveness. They get hardened and resolute in their disobedience to God as God has abandoned them. So again, instead of repenting uh, and expressing their sorrow, they hide from God. And then finally, in verse 11, as God abandons his people, it says, the proud look of men will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled. Again, talking about the humility of man. Finally, he says, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. So he's talking here about the final judgment on the nation of Israel. After all these things come upon them, he's saying God's going to be exalted even in his abandonment of the nation of Israel. How is that so? How does God get glorified in something like this? How is God glorified when he abandons his people? Well, one, he's again shown that he is much higher than man, that God is control of all things. And again, he's going to be glorified because in his abandonment of people, sometimes people will repent and return. Here in particular, it's talking about his people. But what about those people who are not God's people, those who do not know the Lord? In the midst of their abandonment, do they ever return or do they ever come to the Lord? And the answer to that is yes. And I'm going to give you uh, an example. But before I do that, I want to show you Go back to the book of Deuteronomy with me for a second. In Deuteronomy chapter 30. And this is uh, particularly talking about how God is glorified in judgment. Or in his abandonment of his people. Because one, God said something like this was going to happen. And we're going to look at that right now. So it validates God's word. And it validates that God is in control of all things. So look at verse uh, chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. And we're going to look at verses one through three and just for context purpose. So here the uh, here Moses is giving the nation of Israel the cursings and blessings of God. He's like, hey, you guys are about to go into the promised land. And if you follow God, then all these blessings will be upon you. And if you don't follow God, then all these cursings will be upon you. And, And this is the end of that. He says this. So it shall be. When all these things have come upon you, the blessings and the curse. So he already knows that these things are going to happen. And Isaiah is the, uh, the completion of all these things, or the fruition of all these things, I should say. So he says, uh, again, all the blessings and the cursings which I have set before you. And, and you call them to mind in the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. Now notice that. Isaiah is talking about the banishment of God's people or the abandonment of God's people. That's going to happen. And Moses saying that when you guys are ultimately abandoned by God. That God is going to bless you. Watch. Watch what happens here. So I've set before you these blessings and cursings. And then you call. It says, and you call them to mind in the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord. 
So even though God has abandoned his people, Moses is saying if there's a time in the future when God has banished you, that you return to the Lord, look at what's going to happen. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I commanded you today, you and your son, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. So here's a prophetic message to the nation of Israel that, hey, in the future, there's going to be some time in the future when you guys disobey God so much so that he banishes you to other nations. And Isaiah is talking about that because ultimately they're going to be banished to to Babylonia. The Babylonians are going to come in and take Israel captive. But God is saying that if in the midst of your captivity, after I've abandoned you, if you call out to me and you obey me, then I will hear you and I will bring you back. That is how or one way where God abandons his people, that he is glorified because they remember his word, they repent and they return and they obey. And God, God gathers them back and glorifies himself in this by expressing his judgment and his mercy. So as I mentioned earlier, that uh, that doesn't just happen to his people. It also happens to those who are not his people. Let me give an example of that. Turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter four. And in Daniel, as I just mentioned, the nation of Israel is in the book of Daniel is now uh, in slavery or in subjection has been overtaken by Babylon. So all that Isaiah has prophesied has come to pass now as we're in the book of Daniel. (coughs) And you guys have probably heard of King Nebuchadnezzar. So we're going to read a little bit about his story. Because God abandons King Nebuchadnezzar, in a sense, so that he could bring him back. And look at this in uh, Daniel chapter four. Look at verse 28. It says, and all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? You see what's going on? Nebuchadnezzar is admiring all that he has done. His kingdom, his nation, his rule. His majesty. And in verse 31 says, and while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beast of cattle and this and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. God showing his sovereignty here. Saying that even though Nebuchadnezzar is king, that God has allowed him to be king. God has used Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians as judgment on Israel to take them into captivity. And everything that he has is because of God. But he doesn't recognize that. And because of that, he's being judged here. God is abandoning him in a sense. Look at verse 33. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. 
But at the end of the period, so there's the abandonment. And so here's an example of how God will even call those who are not his to himself because they acknowledge him. Look at verse 34. And this is the first account narrative of Nebuchadnezzar where Daniel includes what Nebuchadnezzar says. He goes, but at the end of the period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is everlasting, excuse me, is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the most, excuse me, in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar is acknowledging that God is sovereign over all things, that God is greater than himself. And look at verse 36. At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereign sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. There's an example now of the nation of Israel acknowledging God and being restored after being abandoned and a non-Israelite being abandoned by God and restored because they recognize who God is. So that's how God is glorified, that in his abandoning his people and other people, some come to him and realize who he is. Again, they are abandoned so that they will realize the severity of their sin and acknowledge God. And going back to our text again, and that's why Isaiah says, Lord, don't forgive them so quickly. So what can we learn from this uh, short section this morning about God abandoning his people? I'll start with this question for you. Does God still abandon people today? You don't have to answer out loud. Just think of that. Does God still abandon people today? I will give you the answer. The answer is yes. He does. Turn with me to the book of Romans, and I'll give you an example of this. So Romans, the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. And God's abandonment is usually his judgment on people by letting, leaving them to themselves. And you'll see that very clearly here in Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 18. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of unrighteousness. Again, God's wrath is revealed against who? Those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them for since cre for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse so Paul's making a case against the entire world that creation itself 
screams to the world that there is a God. But, and he says they're without excuse to acknowledge that. And particularly in verse 21, he says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. So you can, hopefully you see the relation to Isaiah, where Isaiah is telling the people, you guys have forgotten God. You're not acknowledging him, giving him praise. Again, that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't acknowledge God, not praising God. And because of that, this is what happens, going now back to Romans chapter 1. Because they did not honor him or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. That's talking about idolatry. So mankind has become idolatrous by not worshiping God. They're worshiping everything else, making images for themselves to worship instead of honoring the God of all creation. And so what does God do? Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over or abandoned them. So in God's wrath, he abandons people really to themselves. Let's read on. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So God's saying, you guys don't want me in your life. You don't want me in this world. Then I'm going to give you over to do whatever your heart desires. You do what you want. That's God's judgment on people. When God abandons them by removing restraint, removing his hand to let you do what you want. Because what's going to happen? Men are going to be humble themselves and continue in their wickedness. And look at what he says, what happens when he does this. So, therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So again, men become worshipers of all of creation instead of the creator himself. When God removes his hand from them, it continues on for this reason. God gave them over. So God abandoned them again. God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural functions for that. What is unnatural and in the same way, men abandoned the natural function of women and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. I hope you understand what that is. It's what we're seeing today in the United States and in the world in general. The sin of homosexuality is God's hand removed from the world and allowing them to pursue whatever they want. Is that what it says right there, that God's abandoned them to do what they want, exchanging the natural function of men and women, and they do what they want. Moving on. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. And he continues on. Not only just that sin, but a whole host of sins in society. Look at what happens in verse 29. And being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, 
malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So it's not only that God gives people over to do whatever they want. He gives them over and it's celebrated. It's encouraged. Right? And everybody gives hearty approval of it. Is not that the world that we live in today? That we give approval of all types of sins. I mean, all these sins that he listed in verse 30 and 31 as well. It's okay to do those things. And we celebrate it. We march for it. And say, we get to do what we want. And unfortunately, churches are falling in line and accepting it. They are being influenced by the world around them like the nation of Israel. And God will abandon them as well. So does God still abandon his people today? I hope you see that in Romans chapter 1, the answer is yes. He abandons them. So let me ask you. Have you found yourself abandoned by God? If you look at your life, and if you're a believer, let's say you're not abandoned by God, first of all. You know, you uh, committed a sin today. I was disobedient to mom and dad. You read it right there in Romans. Does that mean I'm abandoned by God? No. No, that's not. We're talking about lifestyles, characteristics, that that's the way you always live. Then ask yourself, how have you been abandoned by God? Has God allowed you to do what you want with no restraint? If you find yourself in that category, what should you do? Well, what was the answer to ancient Israel back in Isaiah chapter 1? I will read to you. I read to you starting in verse 6 where God had abandoned them. But what did Isaiah say in verse 5? And Jared read this last week of Isaiah chapter 2. It says this. Come, house of Israel, let us walk in the light of the Lord. If you, found yourself, if you find yourself abandoned by God, then the answer to that is return to the Lord or come to the Lord. Come back to the Lord and walk in the light of the Lord. So coming to the Lord means that you just don't ask for forgiveness. It means you walk in the light of the Lord. You ask for forgiveness and you follow the Lord in obedience. You don't just ask for forgiveness and go back out and keep doing what you want. No, you're entering into a covenant with God. And he has a way that you are to live within that covenant if you truly are one of his. So if you found yourself abandoned by God, then return or come to the Lord and walk in the light of the Lord. And lastly, our last point of application this morning is this. And this is more for... So this probably applies to most of us than the other two, I bet. Do you need to abandon someone to God? Do you need to abandon someone to God? Now, what do you mean? What do I mean by that is, is that you are quick to pass over the shortcomings of other people. Thus, you never allow them to suffer the consequences of their actions. Remember, Isaiah said, Lord, do not forgive them. Why did he do that again? I believe it's because he wanted the nation of Israel, to suffer a little so that they truly come back to the Lord, so that they hit rock bottom. Sometimes 
we prevent people from hitting rock bottom, don't we? We continue enabling them. We don't allow them to suffer the consequences of their sins. We're quick. We're too quick to pass over their shortcomings. This can short circuit what God wants to do in their life. We need to let them go and let God deal with them instead of continually saving them from themselves. That might be okay one or two times, but if they never learn, then they need to suffer the consequences of their sin a little bit more. Because guess what? Instead of crying out to God, they cry out to you because you keep saving them and they never cry out to God. And my experience is that they they usually do not learn until they hit rock bottom. That's when they will truly cry out to God. And this is why God abandons his people because he wants them to hit rock bottom where they realize that nobody can help them except God himself. And again, we sometimes out of love, you know, or which we think is our love, is we prevent and don't allow people to cry out for God because we're saving them all the time. And sometimes we need to, you know, let them experience tough love. We can't help you anymore. God's the only one that can help you. I hope that makes sense to you. I remember uh, praying for my dad early on as a believer. I remember, probably not early on, but later on uh, in his life as he was starting to get sick, he had congestive heart failure for quite some time before he was a believer. And I would pray, well, Lord, if this is what it takes for him to come to the Lord, then that's more important than him living a full, healthy life and never knowing you. Because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So I'd rather that my dad die but know you before he dies than to live forever and never know you. And some of us need to ask ourselves, are there people in our lives that we're doing that to? As we're protecting them and watching over them and and coddling them so that they don't hit rock bottom. But they're never going to know the Lord, maybe. Because they don't cry out to the Lord, they cry out to you. They cry out to me, whatever the case may be. So again, the last question is, do you need to abandon someone to God? And let God deal with them and not yourself. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. And even in a a hard topic, as we talked about this morning, being abandoned by you, I pray that we will see that you will glorify yourself in the abandonment of people. Because, Lord God, you know what is best for each and every person. For you created them and you know the end from the beginning. And so I pray this morning, Lord God, that if there's anybody in this room this morning who does not know you, who is abandoned by you, Lord God, that they would come to their senses this morning and cry out to you and follow you as you told ancient Israel through the prophet Isaiah. And Lord God, I also pray for those of us who maybe need to let someone or something go and abandon it to you so that you might work in their lives and our lives. I pray that you would give us the strength to do that this morning, that you would give us the courage to do that, that we would speak truth in love to those around us. For again, Lord, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us this morning and help us to act in a way that is honoring to you, in a way that would ultimately bring glory to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.